0: Today is the day. If you are just joining us, this is Mornings with Carmen. I'm your host, Carmen Laverge. Joining me in the top of this hour is Bill English. Uh, Bill joins us each week. He uh, runs a website called, I mean, he does a lot of things, but among those things. He has a website called Bibleandbusiness.com, and he and I are in the midst of kind of an extended conversation about the leadership lessons that Christians can learn from David. And we have been talking about David now for several weeks. And if you want to get the entire series, you can go to bibleandbusiness.com dot com and uh, click on leadership lesson, lessons, and you can read the whole series. Today, we're going to specifically talk about the lesson of success. Bill, welcome back.
2: Hello. Uh-oh. Hello. Uh oh. Hello. Now I can hear him. Now you know, I can he's hear got it. a lot of buttons and sliders to deal with, so you know.
0: So, I know. <laughs> Nat, Nat uh, is pushing our buttons this week, and we appreciate your presence here, Nat we do. Becker. Thank you, thank you so much for being here. Uh, you're welcome. Yeah. So, for those of you who are used to hearing Paul Perot in that little, uh, you know, in that little spot when I thank somebody um, off air, uh, Paul is on his honeymoon. So, go ahead and send up a a prayer for Paul and Jessica as God knits their life together um, d- during their honeymoon this week. Okay. Hey, Bill English, yeah. tell us yeah. what story we're on in First Samuel seventeen and the beginning of eighteen.
2: Yeah, we are going to be on the part of the story David has killed Goliath and now. David goes back to Saul with Goliath's head in his hand, by the way, and uh, Saul inquires about David's uh, pedigree, and they both go back to Jerusalem, and this is the part of this. There's two other parts to the story. One, uh, this is where Jonathan and David become very close. Jonathan is Saul's uh, son, and this is also where the crowds come out at Jerusalem, and basically they they chant um I'm looking it up here. Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And so David is now much more popular in Jerusalem and will be very quickly around Israel than Saul. And Saul is going to really be galled by this. He's just going to be offended by this. And our, our topic today is how do Christians handle success in a godly way? Because we're going to use David as an example of that.
0: So there are so many threads that we could pull in this story. I mean, we could actually have a succession conversation because the rightful successor to the throne, I mean, technically, like sort of like by the way we think things are supposed to work in a monarchy, um, at least the worldly way of things, we would all imagine that the successor to the throne of Saul would be his son, Jonathan. Yes, And we all know that that is not, you know, sort of God's will in all of this. God has already... Uh, through the prophet, anointed the next king, and that is going to be David. And so God's will in all of this is that David should be king. Yes. But for Jonathan, for Jonathan to get to the place where he um, isn't just open to that, but fully embraces it, that, thats a, I think that's an extraordinary thread we could pull at some point. There's also the reality of succession related to knowing when your time is up And uh, it's it's actually like it's time to pass the torch might be one way of saying it. It's time for a generational change in leadership. Um, You know, the the Saul does not get that it's time for a new king. And so that's a conversation that would be interesting as well. That's we're not having either of those conversations today. We're going to specifically talk about David and his (laughs) success. And so I'm just letting people know what we're not talking about, even though those are really great things in this particular story. that we could
2: talk about? Why don't we do them next week then?
0: Okay. I love that. All right. So Bill and I are going to talk about those. We're going to talk about Jonathan and really cool things about Jonathan and his ability to like recognize that he's not going to be the king and that that's okay and how much he loves David in the midst of all of this and what it means to sort of love another person as you love yourself. And then we'll also look at the reality of succession from the perspective of, hey, sometimes it's time for you to, to Let the next generation lead. And so we'll have those conversations next week. Today, Bill and I are going to till the soil of this particular text in relationship to the success that David experiences. And wow, how hard it is for Christians sometimes to deal with success. That conversation up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining me, uh, continuing our conversation, is Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com. We're talking about the leadership lessons we learned from the life of David, and today we're talking about David's success. Um, Bill, what is so hard about success?
2: Oh my gosh, it goes to your head, right? (laughs) And you get all kinds of accolades, and you get, uh, at least in America, when you're successful, you're generally wealthy, or, or you get some newfound wealth that comes into your life. Uh, you have people who are are telling you how great you are and you start to believe uh, your own press and it goes to your head. And I think it's something that uh, is really difficult to handle in a godly way.
0: So um, what do we learn in terms of when we look at we look at this story from the life of David? What what is, you know, just start tilling the soil for me. So what is the first thing that you would point to in this story and say, aha, Here is something that is valuable for me today as a Christian um, in leadership.
2: You know, the first thing is, is really kind of an argument from silence. But you don't have any indication in the text that after the people came out and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands, you don't have any indication in the text that David started to really get a big head about that. In fact, what you find is that David throughout the Uh, ensuing chapters has such a deep respect for what David called God's anointed or the Lord's anointed one that he, you know, he had a chance to kill Saul later on after this and didn't do it in the cave. Um, You probably remember that story. Mm -hmm. He had a chance um, to overtake uh, Saul as king at one point and he chose not to do that because he wasn't going to lift his hand against the anointed one. So all of that success I think he attributed it to God, and he held it with an open hand, but I don't think that it went to his head. Scriptures don't tell us that, but what they also don't say is that David got prideful and arrogant and that he started to do the things that unsuccessfully successful people do.
0: Okay, so repeat that last part?
2: Yeah, I'm sorry. It was was kind of a play on words. When people are, are successful in business or otherwise in life, but they don't handle it well, I call them unsuccessful successful people.
0: Oh, unsuccessful, successful people. I feel like I've possibly known some unsuccessful, successful people. Oh,
2: yeah. I mean, look at (laughs) what—I'm sorry to bash a little bit here, but but look at what happens to pastors when they they go from a church of, say, 300 to a church of, say, 3,000 or 8,000. They become different people in most cases, and they often don't handle the accolades and the success well. Neither do Christians in business. I know of a guy— uh, two examples. I, both of them in the same dollar range. Uh, one guy, uh, lo- two years ago, we helped him sell his family business. And he walked away with about seventeen million dollars net after taxes, and he's held he's he's handled that very well. It hasn't gone to his head. He's been uh, doing things to further the kingdom of God, and I, I can't say much more than that uh, without starting to give away identity. Uh, another guy that I know right now is trying to sell his 30-year-old business, and he probably will walk away after taxes with over 20 million. And I'm interested to see how he's going to handle that because both of them are evangelical Christians. And if he goes and buys a big house in on Lake Minnetonka, which for those who don't live in the Twin Cities is the ritzy area of of the Twin Cities, you know, goes and builds a you know 7,000 square foot home on Lake Minnetonka, or you know starts flying Lear jets and stuff, then I'll know he has failed because the money is really there for the kingdom of God to be used for God's purposes.
0: So I think that part of the conversation, Bill, that's really hard for us is that um, we we don't always recognize that success when we experience it in this life is really not about us. Right. I mean, I do think that David gets that this is God's victory. This is, you know, it was God's victory over the bear. It was God's victory um You know, over the lion, it was certainly God's victory over Goliath, and therefore the success that he has has experienced on the battlefield. How he translates that into successful leadership of God's people is going to be a part of this conversation. We all know that David is imperfect and has uh, moral failures, but we also know that he's described as a man who's you know after God's own heart. And I think that when we when we keep that in mind, if 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 as I experience success in this life, as the world defines it. I'm able to recognize that that success is really the success of God and therefore whatever it is that are the benefits of that success, uh, you know, to be this worldly, um, uh, worldly access to the levers of power or money or whatever it is. If I'm able to see all of that as, well, that's still all God's. It's still an entrustment uh, of God. It's no different than God putting Adam and Eve in the garden and saying, hey, this is my stuff, you know, and you're my stewards. Take care of it. Uh, and so can we talk a little bit when we come back about what it looks like in leadership to recognize that success itself and all of the what can be trappings of success but can also be the um, the things that we can use as successful people to leverage for the kingdom of God, all of that is an entrustment. Can we talk about that when we come back from the break? You bet. Okay, fantastic. Bill English and I are going to continue this conversation in just a moment. You can check it all out at BibleAndBusiness.com. Continuing my conversation now with Bill English from BibleAndBusiness.com. We are talking about the leadership lessons we learned from the life of David. And today we're talking about David's success, early success in terms of the defeat of Goliath and what that looks like to slay uh, his 10,000s in relationships to the Philistines. And then what what it looks like then um, to... Gosh, have material, spiritual, relational—I don't know—success. What? How do we live? How do we live faithfully as successful people? Maybe that's the best question we could ask, Bill. How do we live faithfully to God as successful people?
2: Yeah, success is always going to—it's always going to change us. There, there's, there's no doubt, Carmen, uh, that success will change us, and it's either going to humble us or it's going to fill us with pride. We, we're not going to stay the same after we've experienced a significant uh, success. And so um, those who have, I think, a strong view of stewardship, in other words, whatever good comes my way is just God's blessing, and it's really part of the Ephesians 2.10, that success is helping to prepare me for some other work in the future that God has me to do. Those who have a strong view of stewardship are going to go down probably the humility path. Those that think it's all about them and that my things did this and that I did this kind of in in, in the Deuteronomy 8. A sense where you know Moses is warning the Israelites that after you've become fat and sassy—that's the Bill English uh, (laughs) translation—that that that, that you're going to think that your that your efforts did all this. That's going to lead to pride. And so, you know, how do we live with success? We live with success by realizing that that success in and of itself is is God's generosity and God's preparation for us to do something else in the future for his kingdom, and it draws us to himself as well.
0: So I think that when we sort of bring this conversation forward into contemporary concerns and issues, like I would would just ask, I'm not really asking this question to you, I'm sort of asking this question rhetorically, like who needs $5,000 shoes? Who needs thirty thousand dollar shoes? Like you can actually go online and you can find a pair a pair, a pair, a pair of uh Nikes that um they're they're you know uh, the Nike Dunk SB Low Paris. <clears throat> I don't even know what that is, but you can you can buy them for thirty thousand dollars. Now, the last time this pair of shoes sold, it sold for eleven thousand five hundred dollars. Like who no one needs and so here's part of the the ostentatious Period of time in which we live, I think, is a challenge here because there are people who think that they need five hundred dollars jeans, fifty thousand dollars. I don't know what watches, uh, cars that cost a half a million dollars, houses that cost tens of millions of dollars, and 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 five thousand dollars shoes. Like, I, so some of this is we have like arrived at a place where there are there are people who have like such wealth that I think it becomes confusing to Christians who, who somehow think that worldly success and, um, and access to all of these things is sort of proof that we're also close to God. And this is not true.
2: Yeah, well, I would agree. I would agree that financial success in no way necessarily indicates God's blessing. I, I would, or or a closeness,
0: agree. or a nearness and closeness to him. Like I think that's like I, I want people who are living, um, you know, really simply and maybe have set aside or set maybe that's not even right. The word they're trying to live simply, um, as really good stewards of whatever it is that God has placed under their stewardship, and sometimes that that means that they don't look very successful in terms of what the world considers visual success, and so that's um you know i would say if you're if you're wearing your success out there in public in a way that everybody can see it then the conversation that we're trying to have today is that's not really necessarily what successful christian leadership looks like the humble person um who is able to steward all of the benefits of success in such a way that they're still advancing the gospel that's that's really what we're trying to get at am i right
2: i think you are and i and i think the point of the, the point that you're making that uh, those who have been blessed by God are necessarily close to Him. That that is a, a canard, is really a result of the prosperity gospel, right? Mm. That that if you were poor, you were somehow living in sin, and re- really that goes back to the Book of Job and kind of the basic thesis of Job's friends. If you if something bad is happening or you're poor, there must be sin in your life. If something good is happening or you're rich, then you must be close to God and not have sin in your life.
1: Not and, true. And those not things true. are not
2: necessarily true. And that's but exactly. the prosperity gospel has taught us that. I think unwittingly and I think um, heretically.
0: All right. So back to David. Um, Stay humble. Yes. Um, I'm going to read your four things off of BibleandBusiness.com. Stay humble. Stay connected to God. Mm -hmm. Stay the course and enjoy God's blessing. I would would maybe have added to that. Enjoy God's blessing within, and then parenthetically, like within God's boundaries.
2: (laughs) You know, I got that last point from Ecclesiastes 5. When God mm. gives somebody wealth and then enables them to enjoy it. Mm. All right? good. Yeah. That's that, that last bullet point really comes from um, Ecclesiastes 5.
0: Okay, so any, any soil there, um, we've tilled, stay humble. Do you want to till the soil of stay connected to God and stay the course?
2: Yeah, I don't see how you stay humble without staying connected to God. And when you stay connected to God and you follow him, you're automatically going to stay the course. I think it's all about staying connected to God.
0: And when we talk about staying the course for David and we talk about staying the course um, for the rest of us, Right. part of it is just recognizing that God has a will that he is working out and that that's redemptive and it's over all things and all people. And we um, have a role in that. We have a relationship with God restored through Jesus Christ. And so we walk by faith in whatever it is that might look like the very mundane rut of the day. But it also might look like the victory lap that David gets to take in this particular story.
2: Yeah. And, and, and the working out of God's will, for some reason, that reminds me, what's that phrase is, I think it's in Philippians 2, to work out his will with fear and trembling or, or something like that. I don't know if you remember that phrase, but that's what I think David is doing is we're going to see David do throughout the, the ensuing lessons is that he's going to be realizing God's will in his life and he's going to stay close to God and that's going to be his greatest strength.
0: Amen. Um, Hey, as a walk-off, anything you want to add? We got 30 seconds left.
2: You know what? If somebody, yeah, and this is actually a housekeeping point. If somebody wants to find all of these articles, you go to Bibleandbusiness.com, and it's actually under the online book link. So you click on online book and then you scroll down to the bottom of that menu leadership lessons for christian business owners look if you're a business owner and you got some money coming your way remember that to fulfill god's purposes for your business um use that money to further the kingdom uh and don't, and don't necessarily go spend it extravagantly on yourself
0: love it all right hey bill thank you so much you bet. Uh, again Bill English from BibleAndBusiness.com. You're listening to Mornings in Car- with Carmen. We'll be right back. <laughs> All right. So next up, Justin Giboney, uh from the AND Campaign and Crux and The Call. He and I are going to be talking about race. I-, I know this is a subject that Justin and I till the soil of on-, on an ongoing basis, but there's a reason for that. And it's because we have to learn how to talk with one another substantively, compassionately, um, humbly about these things. And so if you listened to the Democratic debate last night, you know this is a topic of conversation. If you are listening to the cultural conversations of the day, you know that this is soil that we need to learn to till as Christians. So Justin and I are going to till that soil a little more together in just a minute.
2: President Theodore Roosevelt said, I can be president of the United States or I can control my daughter, Alice. I cannot do both. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Parents of strong-willed kids understand that raising them requires a lot of time, attention, and effort. These kids will always put boundaries to the test and challenge the system. So, if you have a strong-willed teen at home, remember these few keys. Get on the same page discipline-wise with your spouse. Communicate your boundaries clearly and make sure consequences are explained well in advance. It may take extra time and energy, but there are ways to make the most of your interactions
1: with a strong-willed teen. Soon, you'll become a strong, principled young adult.
0: Learn how to get your teen back on track. Get instant access to Mark's free parenting course online at freeparentingcourse.com. Joining me now, Justin Gibney from the AND Campaign, also the crux and the call. Justin, welcome back.
1: Hey, Carmen. How's it going?
0: Well, it's, uh, you know, it's going. You know, we're raising kids. <laughs> so are you. You know that the yeah. rhythms of life are sometimes complicated. So um, I, I appreciate do. your I appreciate your willingness to just come and uh, continue to till the soil of these conversations together. Um, I I genuinely love you and appreciate your perspective, and I also recognize that every single week there are things that happen in the world that I'm even, like, ashamed to raise with you. And so I I appreciate your willingness to continue to help me learn how to have really hard, important conversations about where we are um, as Christians living in America right now. Um, and so so let me just start by saying thank you um and and then just just i want to eventually get to a conversation about uh the the debate last night and the one tonight um and maybe what people of faith are are hoping uh, or expecting to hear from candidates on the democratic side um but i i, I feel like i have to start with this um uh, this story that emerged i mean we could talk about baltimore as well but the story that emerged out of north carolina this past week where we have this woman confronting other patrons at uh, at a restaurant and she uses this is a white woman and she uses a term that we all know shall not be spoken and and she uses it you know in direct reference to uh, african american women and and she refuses now publicly to apologize help help us understand why we can't use that word, why that word is off limits and the pain that is experienced in, in an African-American heart and life and family and community when that word is used.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I'm familiar with with what happened in Raleigh and it, it's unfortunate. And And the thing you have to understand is that was a term that was used to demean people. Uh, that is a term that was used to even more so dehumanize people to the extent that their lives were worthless. And so when you bring up a term like that, people know what they're doing, right? You, you don't use that term to make somebody uh, feel good or because you're, you know, it's not a term of endearment. And so people pretty much know what they're doing when, do, when they do that, but understand the history of how it was used to dehumanize people men, women and children become less than human when you can character uh, character, make them a character uh, by using terms like that. And so that's to me, that's why it's a really big deal, why the term shouldn't be used. And, you know, what ha- happened in Raleigh was really, uh, really unfortunate. And and part of it was pride, you know, her, her unwillingness to 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 uh, apologize and all that. And we can get into that further. But, uh, yeah, the term shouldn't be used. It, it, it dehumanizes people. It has a history of almost being a justification for uh, all kind of evils, including murder.
0: So if people were to go to thecruxandthecall.com, one of the posts that you have there is about Howard Thurman and the apologists of hate. And the reason I want to bring it up here is I think when we talk about the need to apologize, we uh, we can talk about, among Christians, we can talk about apologetics But we also talk about apologists and apologists are not always advocating for the right thing. Sometimes there are people who are apologists for the wrong things. Mm -hmm. Um, So tell us tell us about Howard Thurman.
1: Yeah, so I'll see Howard Thurman was a black theologian who who, uh, had a lot of interaction with the civil rights movement. And I think one of his best contributions to the body of Christ is really explaining how and why anger, and kind of rage and hate were uh, counterproductive because I think on both sides of the conversation, when you talk about justice, when you talk about uh, righteousness on both sides, people begin to justify their hate. And so it comes to the point where if your political opponent is nasty enough, if they're mean enough, if they've done enough wrong, then they deserve to be hated. They don't deserve to be forgiven. And I think in, from a, you know Christian convictions, that's never the case. Uh, and so uh, Howard Thurman did an excellent job of showing how hate was counterproductive. And he was talking in many instances, he was talking to uh, the people who were under subjugation, people who were being oppressed. He was saying, I know what you're going through. This doesn't belittle what you're going through. But if you begin to hate, you're actually hurting yourself. And I, uh, that was his great, I, to me, that was his great contribution to uh, to Christian thought.
0: So I want to encourage people to go to TheCruxAndTheCall.com and read this post, Howard Thurman and the Apologist for Hate. I will post that link um, on my Twitter feed, and I will also post it uh, later today at ReconnectWithCarmen.com when, when we have the audio from this conversation with Justin Giboney. Uh You guys can also check out what the AND campaign is doing for equipping resources in in this area of how, how do you enter into these conversations in your own community across uh, red and blue political lines. How do we as Christians have authentic conversations in the culture today? Uh, advancing the gospel together. And part of that is learning to talk with one another substantively about difficult things. So, Justin, let's talk about um, let's talk about Baltimore. The the president's characterization of Baltimore um, seems to be focused on um, whether or not it's a you know it's a good or bad place to live. And I think that a better conversation would be about how people are living in urban environments that is just it's really unacceptable. Like there are people living in communities across the country that the way that our fellow citizens are living is we would consider unacceptable by any standard. And there's a systemic problem. Well, there are more than one. There are systemic problems related to that so um, I know it's a little early, Nat, for us to take the break, but I'm, I'm thinking let's take the break. And when we come back, then Justin and I can really talk about all right, what are the layers of the, the systems conversations that we need to have when we are talking about the way our fellow citizens in the United States of America are living in some urban environments today and why it is the way it is, um, because we're not going to be able to move forward unless we understand that. So Justin Gibney. And I are going to continue this conversation in just a minute. Continuing my conversation with Justin Gibney from the And Campaign, also at thecruxandthecall.com. dot uh, com. Justin, let's talk about Baltimore. If I were just to say, Justin, what's wrong in Baltimore? How would you answer that question?
1: Well, I first want to answer it with some historical context uh, and also realize and with a little bit of nuance to realize that all p- parts of Baltimore aren't the same. So there are people who live in parts of Baltimore and they choose to live there and they enjoy being there, including uh, African-Americans. Uh, but I, but as far as the, the historical context goes, I would say, first and foremost, these are people who were segregated into some of these ghettos. Uh, who didn't have a choice, who didn't have an option to go to other places. Uh, this is a, These are areas that were redlined, meaning that people couldn't get the same loans to upgrade their houses, um, all kinds of issues that came really from uh, injustice and racism, systemic injustice. And so you, if you don't mention that, I think you got to be very slow to put out insensitive criticisms when you haven't put things in a historical context. And so I would say, number one, injustice and racial injustice has a huge part to do with what's going on in Baltimore. But it's not just that. Uh, you also do. You also have had leadership that has failed the people. And and I think the biggest thing about this debate, I don't like the comments that were made about Baltimore. I think they were insensitive and shouldn't have been uh, th- that shouldn't have been said. But what I'm also not going to do is dismiss the people who have failed their constituents in Baltimore. Uh, and I think one of the sad things about what we do in our debates today is we we fight over the symbolism, we fight over the words, and forget about the people. So everyone's response to this shouldn't necessarily just be uh, clapped back towards the, the president or all this arguing going back and forth. It should be focused on the people. And if your commentary isn't focused on the people and bettering their situation, then maybe you should keep it to yourself. And, and, and also understand that to criticize an area or people who you haven't shown compassion to uh, or love to, uh, is is using going to be counterproductive
0: so justin you're getting uh you're getting love from listeners right now on our text line if you want to uh, participate in that uh if you're listening it's eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four uh Caroline uh probably doesn't think she's ever heard anything better on my show, so there you go um I think that <laughs> <laughs> I think that um the the what I so appreciate is there's a pause that's required. I need to think about the history. I need to think about why why things are the way they are. And not only who who is responsible um, and therefore what do we – the issues and challenges we need to address and how those need to be addressed in terms of leadership. But there's real people today living in these communities or trying to live in these communities, real kids trying to get an education, real parents trying to find fresh fruit. Like we're talking about – You know, if we if we start talking about all of the challenges that people living in these particular um, depressed urban settings are experiencing, you know, it's not like they've got equity. They can't move to the suburbs like it's not there. There is a stuckness to some of this. And and so what do we do to uh, to lift up um, these communities? How do we invest in them in ways that they have not been invested in in the past because these are real people. We're not just talking about material investment. We're talking about investing in the lives of people, the next generation of Americans. We're talking about investing in our neighbors and with one another in mutually lifting one another up. I don't know what would, would what would your first step be? Um what's a first step that people listening right now could take today if they wanted to actually substantively come alongside, learn about and improve the lives of uh, of urban neighbors today.
1: Yeah, You could start by going to an African-American church in Baltimore and listen, asking them what they need and listening, listening Mm. to what they say that they need. I think that's I think that's one of the best places to start, not going down uh, and telling them what they need and and, and kind of taking that posture, but just listening to hear what they need. Uh, You also get into, you know, holding people, holding our elected officials responsible when we're talking about education policy. When we're talking about housing policy, all those things affect affect uh, what's going on in Baltimore. And I would just say this more generally. Please understand and as Christians, we should understand that if we were if we started off in the situation that many of these folks started off in, we could end up in the same place. So be very careful um beware of putting yourself in a position to say, Well, they need to do this, they need to do that you don't know what you would do if you were in that situation and thank God you may have received uh, some grace in that area but but let's be you know loving and compassionate towards what people are going through
0: justin i think it is I think it is really hard um to do for many people to do what you just asked us to do. And, and it's the right thing both of these are the right thing first of all you're talking about empathy let me let me pause long enough to imagine that i started where my neighbor started um first of all let me acknowledge this person is my neighbor this person is my neighbor um let's start there this is a fellow citizen this is uh this is a, a, a eternal being just like me made in the image of god with the full dignity uh, of all of that um and so let's start there, but then let's also recognize that I have a really hard time getting out of my own experience and my own you know, social location to even be able to imagine the reality in which someone else is not just living now, but they're where they started. Like that's really hard to do, but that's the necessary, that is absolutely the necessary learning that most of us still need to do. Before we can start having conversations about policy, like it just we're starting with we don't have enough information and we don't have enough relationships with people who are really experiencing the things that we want to see policy changes about fair.
1: Very fair. I think when in doubt, uh, just start with love. If if you know you don't have all the information, just start with loving people. And uh, as you said, empathizing and, and reaching out.
0: And in the reaching out, I love the recommendation to, you know, get in touch with a church that's actually functioning in the community, in that context. Uh, not, you know, not a a, a a predominantly white church that's reaching in, but an African-American congregation that's actually in the context. Reach out to them, um, find out what they're experiencing, what's going on, um, and what, if anything, they'd like for you to do to help like cuz it may be they don't really need or want you to do something um other than pray and and acknowledge that you know you're out there and you're with them and for them um so justin um hey let's quickly move to uh, the democratic debates last night's and tonight's let me just ask this question what are people of faith listening and watching or hoping for um out of this group of people
1: personally i, I would say i'm just looking for policy i'm looking for substantive conversations I'm not one to really look for a whole lot of religious um illusions or anything like that. I, I want it to be sincere. And so what a lot of times what you get is people saying it because it plays well. Just tell me what you plan to do. Um and, and, and that and that's really what what I want to hear. Uh it, it's great when somebody has sincere faith and they express it. But too often it's just something that they do you know, because they want to get to a certain de- demographic. So I want to hear your policy. I want to hear what you're trying to do. I do want to hear your compassion. I do want to hear your conviction on issues. But primarily I want to hear the policy and, and uh, how you would interact with people and, and how how you would make this country a better place.
0: So far among this 20, are you hearing – policy proposals from any one or two that you find substantive, substantive enough you know to say that's somebody i'm interested in knowing more about
1: yeah i, I think it's still early and so i want to know okay. i want to know more about all of them I, I think uh last night was more substantive when it came to policy so you heard a lot about health care uh you heard a, you know you heard a lot about some other issues in depth that you haven't you hadn't heard before i want to see if that's going to happen tonight uh, I think you have some folks tonight who may focus a little more on the, the zingers and the one-liners. Uh, if that happens, I would, I would come out saying that last night's debate was the best. But I, I'm going to give these folks a chance, and hopefully <laughs> they will focus on policy in the same way that uh, there was a policy focus last night.
0: All right, Justin, you and I are going to continue this conversation going forward. Thank you so very much for being with us today. You guys can check out what Justin is doing at The And Campaign. You can also check it out at the Crux and the Call.com. Thank you, my friend.
1: Thank you, Carmen. Take care. Now. We'll
0: be right back. You too. Well, Nat, we have, um, we have listeners that are paying really close attention. And apparently they're paying close enough attention to know that we ran the same news that we ran yesterday. And apparently they don't think that it's new news today. What? Yesterday's news is not what? today's? What? Okay. Hey, sorry about that. Nat and I are um, fixing that. Uh, I don't know. It'll
1: be fixed. It's fixed. It's fixed. It, it's,
0: fixed. it's fixed. So I thank you apologize. to thank you to our astute. Okay. Thank you to our astute listeners who thought they needed new news today. Here's the new news today. Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, and He is coming again to judge the living and the dead. And if you live today with that eternal perspective in mind, with the reality that the kingdom of God is at hand and that Jesus Christ is poised right now to make a return. Um, First of all, that should be like a great and glorious, like I can't even hardly wait. My smile is so big. My eyes are, are toward the heavens. um, And yet my labor is, you know, my hand is, is, is on the plow, right? Why? Because there is a harvest that is ripe and it's out there, and and God wants more and more people to know today the name of Jesus, so that on the day when Christ returns, whenever that may be, um, it, not not just you and I, but our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers and our fellow countrymen, like right, everybody will know who He is, and they'll they will have this great anticipation. Now we all know that everybody is not going to bend the knee until that day, but on that day, on that day. Every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I, 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 I barely can contain my enthusiasm and excitement for that coming reality. So there you go. That is the news of the day. The good news of the gospel is the news of the day. Whatever news uh, you might have missed at the top of the hour was not as important as that news. And so let us be purveyors of that truth out there today as the world is consumed with all kinds of other things. Let us be consumed with the gospel. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at myfaithradio.com.